a Bible, let's sort of open up to the book of Psalms, chapter 105. As we get back into the Psalms, and it's a blessing to be able to just kind of go through the scriptures. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a Psalm of Praise that basically focuses on the positive experiences of Israel in their early history. Uh, the faithfulness of God is so important for us in our life. You know, it's interesting how when we get into Psalm 106, we're going to see the very next psalm reviews the same period of history, but it hones in on the negative experiences of Israel. And we're going to see there how the children of Israel were unfaithful, how they were fickle. But today, we're going to see that same period. And, and basically, have you guys ever heard that saying that beauty is in the eye of the beholder? You know, and so as you're looking at your life, um, basically you can focus on the negative if you want to, or you can focus on the positive. And when you look back in your life, uh, hopefully you'll be able to see the hand of God in, in you, you know, to bring us to a place basically of obedience. As a matter of fact, look at the last verse of this psalm. I'm going to give you guys a sneak preview. Um, the very last verse, notice what it says in verse 45 that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise the Lord. That at the end of the day, as we look back and we see all the good things that God has done in our life, that it should bring us to a place of obedience. You know, and I trip out, to be honest with you, you know, none of us here are perfect. You know, we all have our struggles. But I just, I trip out on how some people, they don't, they don't care, man. They just go, they get drunk, they go, they have sex, they go and they, and they cuss up all the F-bombs and they, and they go and they do whatever they want and they lie and they manipulate and they connive and they create chaos and they call themselves Christians and they come to church. I trip out on that. I'm like, what's up with that? You know, what, why is it? You know, again, like, we all stumble. But how do people go into sin like, you know, volitionally with eyes wide open? It doesn't make any sense to me. And so, you know, like with our kids, hopefully they obey us because we love them. You know, one of the things the Lord showed me is that I, I pray that we would come to a place in our life where we obey him, not because of what he will do to us, but we obey him because of what he's done for us. Man, he died for us. He's taken care of us all our life. Why would, we, why would we spit in his face? You know, prayerfully, this psalm, as we go through and you're looking at all the good things that God has done, prayerfully, it brings us to that place, that, that last verse right there where it talks about obedience. You know, it's time, man. It's time to, you know, pray the, the way you're supposed to pray. It's, it's time to love your wife the way she's called to be loved. I mean, it's time, you know, for, for the sisters to, to live that life of, of submission, supporting, you know, the kids, obeying, I mean, their parents. I mean, everything that we're called to do is time to evangelize. It's time to, you know, step up and get involved in ministry and serve the Lord sacrificially. I mean, whatever it might be, you know, prayerfully, I just pray we, we come to that that place of obedience. And so in Psalm 105, uh, we're going to see verses 1 through 6 is to rejoice in the Lord. And so it's, a, it's an exhortation, you know, to really uh, rejoice in the Lord. And then in verses 7 through 41, uh, we're going to see the psalmist just reviews the works of the Lord. 
and how you know God's covenant with Abraham took place and then God you know with Abraham protecting Israel and then Joseph then Jacob then Moses and Aaron you know the way that he brought him out of Egypt positioning Israel and then God providing for Israel through these guys and so you know it's kind of cool we're going to go through all these different characters all their different history you know looking number one at the call to rejoice then to review and then the last thing is the reasons that we review the works of the Lord and so here in Psalm 105 we begin in verse 1 where it says oh give thanks to the Lord call upon his name Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice. There's that word, rejoice. Who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. For how long? Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done. His wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. And so that whole section right there is just an encouragement to, you know, to rejoice in, in the Lord. You know, when you look at that, the psalmist is addressing the nation of Israel and they were to, you know, thank him. They were to call him. They were to publicize God's amazing deeds they were to sing about it. They were to talk about it. They were to magnify God, glorify God, you know, God's holy name. You know, they were to seek the Lord, seek his strength. Because that's what we need, right? I mean, there's no way we're going to beat up, you know, the devil with our puny power. We don't have any. I mean, you're going to get plowed over if you walk your life in your own strength. And so we're seeking the Lord, man. We're seeking his strength. Uh, it says we're seeking his face right, right there. And that, and that just talks about how we do this uh, sincerely, passionately, personally. And, and then as we do, notice again there, I like what it says in verse 3, that our hearts, they rejoice. You know, and that's what happens when you're walking in a healthy, vibrant, true and genuine relationship with God. And I remember Pastor Raw, he'd always tell me, you can tell when someone is not really walking right with the Lord because they don't have any joy. But when you're, when you're, you know, when you're living in sin, you're not going to have joy. But when you're walking with the Lord, you know, and again, none of us are perfect, but, you know, we're, we're proper, we're plugged in, we're in fellowship with God. There is going to be this joy. There is going to be this life right here where we're, we're thanking him, we're calling him, we're, you know, telling people about the amazing works that God is doing. Not just what he did a hundred years ago, but what he did today. Because your eyes are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, your ears are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and, you know, you're seeing all the things, man, that the Lord does. And so there's this call to, to rejoice. We see there in verses 5 through 6 that the psalmist is calling Israel to remember the marvelous works which he has done. How about your life? You know, some of you here, you've been a Christian for a while, and if you could go back and, and review your life, I mean, what an amazing work God has done. Some of you guys are just starting off, and so you're still processing those things. But I tell you what, it's worthwhile reviewing your life you know sit down with the lord you get a cup of coffee and you just talk to him and, and just start trying to think these things out 
You know, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but a life review is a phenomenon widely reported as occurring during near-death experiences in which a person rapidly sees much or the totality of their life history. It's often referred to by people who have experienced this phenomenon as having their life flash before their eyes. Have you guys ever heard that? And they say it's true, you know, something about the brain processing the possibility that I'm about to die, and all of a sudden, all these flashes start going through their minds. I was reading one story about a guy who fell off a cliff, and he was talking about all the different things, you know, that he, uh, he thought of, because I guess he thought he was going to die. He didn't end up dying. But, you know, uh, what I would just say to you is don't wait until you die before your life flashes before your eyes. What I would say is let's do it now. You know, let's go back and see God's hand throughout our entire life, and it doesn't matter who you are. You know, I remember when I got hit by a car when I was five years old, and that explains a lot of the defects that I have nowadays. But, you know, he spared my life, man. How many times has you should have died and you're still alive? Some of you guys multiple times. You know, so to go back, review and when you review, you, you, you know, you do all these things. You're, great, you're grateful to God. You know, you're praying to God. You're telling people about God. You're even singing uh, uh, to God and about God. You're, you're just living a life that glorifies His name. You're seeking Him as a result of that. And what does the Bible say? That when you seek the Lord with all your heart, what's going to happen? You're going to find Him. You will find God. Not if you do it half-heartedly. You know, sometimes we're struggling, you know, struggling, we're wondering why, and we might blame it on God, or you might blame it on your circumstances. No, it's not God, and it's not your circumstances. It's just the fact that we're not really seeking Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's what He says. You know, we seek Him, and, and there's just going to be this joy that we have, and we never stop seeking Him. That's what it says there in verse 4. We seek His face you know, evermore. Don't forget, you guys, don't forget the marvelous works that God has done. After all, we can't, you know, forget. We got to remember because God remembers us just like God remembered Israel. Notice what we read here in verse 7. It says, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. And confirmed it to Jacob for a statute. To Israel as an everlasting covenant. There's that word covenant, covenant, covenant. Saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. When they were few in number, indeed very few and, and strangers in it. You know how amazing the covenant that God made with Abraham before the law was ever given by Moses. God promised to Abraham that he would inherit the entire land of Canaan. God promised to Abraham innumerable descendants. And God promised to Abraham that through him all the world would be blessed. You read that in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And so imagine that. Here's this guy, you know, from the land of Ur, and, you know, he doesn't even know where he's going. The Bible says not knowing where he was going, he went. And then suddenly God appears to him. The, the moment that Lot splits, 
You know, there's different covenants that you see going on, but one of them was when Lot split, but another one was when he had left someone else behind, and then, and then God just spoke to him. And imagine that. You have one, one acknowledged, promised child, only one child. And God said to you, from you, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky and like the sand of the sea. To you, and think about it, he didn't own any land except for a grave. He didn't, own, he didn't own any land. And he said, to you and your descendants, I'm going to give this entire land of Canaan. Imagine that. Here's this one guy, you know, he's going through life. And he said, and, the, and then God says, through you, I will bless the whole world through you. Imagine that. When, when he's just a few, God made a covenant with him. It's an amazing thing. And, and, and you know, this is what it's all based on, the, the covenant. And, and for us as Christians, God's made a covenant with us. You guys know that, right? We are under the new covenant with the blood of Jesus, where God writes his law in our hearts. We have this personal relationship with him. And so we're going to see that because of the covenant that God makes, you know, they're going to experience the grace and the goodness and the blessings of God. And, and so will we. You know, God told Abraham numerous times that, that he would have all these promises and possessions. God had a plan. There would be direction. Uh, there would be protection. And even today, uh, Israel's in the land. You know, that's a sign to the world that God is coming. Because remember, they lost the land in 70 AD when the Romans came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. 1.1 million Jews died. They never got the land back until 1948. Imagine that. They went close to 2,000 years without the land, and then they got it back. Why? Because God said that's their land. See? And so here we find, you know, God, you know, giving this covenant to them. He had a plan. There would be direction. There would be protection. Now they enter into this covenant. And just like you entered into a covenant, and notice what it says in verse 13, when they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sake, saying, do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. And, and you know, that's, that's an amazing thing. When Abraham journeyed south to the area of the Philistines, he, he feared for his life. You guys remember the story? So he said to Sarah, his wife, who, who was his half-sister, tell them you're my sister because you're so pretty that they might kill you, kill me because they're going to want you, right? And so it was a, she was a half-sister, so she told the half-truth, uh, which is a whole lie. You guys know that, right? <laughs> and so what ends up happening, in one sense, if you think about it, he's a liar. He's a liar. But God protects him. It's amazing right here. God permitted no one to do them wrong in, in verse 14. He rebuked in the king for their sake. He said, this guy right here who's part of my covenant, he's my anointed one. And, and that was... Abraham and that was the children of Israel and that's you because you believe in his son Jesus that's you 
You see, and when God was speaking to Abraham, he just promised blessings upon his life. And, and, I, and I know, I just know that the same is true for you when you live that life of obedience. Here we see God protected them. God directed them. And we find that God, you know, shared this story in Genesis 20 and verse 3 and Genesis 20 and verse 7. And then it's funny because it happened to Abraham twice. And then it also happened to his son Isaac. And so God, you know, taking care of them, looking back and thinking, man, God should have wiped me out, you know, because I messed up. But no, you're a believer. And God protects, right? And so it happened to Abraham, happened to Isaac. You see, here's the thing, and I'm going to say this a few times. There was this covenant. So God was benevolent. And so we see next in verse 16, again, going through the history of Israel. Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. Now, now verse 16, I just want to pause and just make a point here. I mean, did God, did God call, you know, create the famine? Did God do it? And, and, if, and, I, and I guess when you read it right there, it sounds kind of like God did it. But I, I would say that, that he didn't probably author it. He allowed it. He allowed a famine. But, but, but the emphasis we're going to see in this chapter is on the absolute sovereignty of God. I mean, just the absolute sovereignty of God. I mean, I think sometimes, you know, when we see people messing up or we see things happening or whatever, you know, it's like we take God out of the equation. No, God's right in the middle. He's right in the thick of that thing. And God, you watch. He's going to use that for good. God, God help us to, to just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that whatever it is you're going through right now, God is sitting on the throne. And he's not biting his fingernails. That's what Xavier says, right? He's in complete control. And so when you look at that, you're like, well, God, you know, did the famine. Well, he kind of did in one sense. He probably allowed it. He probably didn't author it. But he's so sovereign that you read it there and it seems that way. But, but look at verse 17. When that famine you know, happened, he sent a man. Before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. So, so just looking back at the land, hey, you remember that day when you were chosen? You never, never forget that day when, when, you know, whatever you were called, Abraham got saved. I mean, I don't know. You know, that's a pretty special day. And then you remember that day when you blew it and he protected you? I mean, you know, he's pointing to that. And then remember that time there was a calamity, there was a famine in the whole wide world. But you know what? God knew ahead of time because he had already sent Joseph to be there, right there to save them in the nick of time. You see, even the famine was all part of God's plan for God's man, Joseph, to travel from 
the pit to the prison to the palace. Think about that. I mean, what God did in the life of Joseph, and most of us know his story. If you don't, I really encourage you to go home tonight and stay up all night and read Genesis 37 through 50. It's such a great, amazing story. One of my favorites in the Bible this Jewish lad who had been sold into slavery became the second most powerful man in the world. Tell your kids, tell your kids, hey, you can be president one day. God can do anything, right? God can do anything with us if we yield ourselves to him. You know, Joseph was a dreamer, you know, and he told the, his brothers his dreams, you know, he probably shouldn't have. They got upset with him. Imagine your own biological brothers hating you so much that they want to kill you. Imagine that. And so, you know, they didn't have the, the guts to do that. They, they threw him in a pit. And then, you know, eventually their hatred says, hey, we'll just make some money. They sell him. And, and, and all through those things, God is working out his perfect plan. And that's what God is doing with us. He's working out his plan. It's an amazing thing. You know, what a, difference life, uh, what a different life it is when God is with you and when God is for you. And that's what we see in the life of, of Joseph, right? Verse 17, he was sold as a slave. Think about that, a slave. You know, and you think your boss is mean. I mean, this guy was a slave, right? His feet were in fetters because eventually, even though he held to his integrity, but, you know, Potiphar's wife said, hey, this guy, you know, came on to me. That was an absolute lie. I mean, homeboy was, was, was clean. I mean, he didn't, he didn't even go there, right? But, but you, know, you know, what ends up happening, he gets thrown into prison for, for holding to his integrity. How many of us at that point would give up on God? We'd say, God, I've been trying to serve you. Look at what you've done to my life. I'm here in prison. But Joseph didn't. He never left the Lord. He stayed there two years in prison. Again, God elevates him until finally, you guys know the story, Pharaoh has a dream. And these guys, you know, they remember that Joseph is able to interpret dreams. And it's that gift that catapults him in. And it's an amazing work how through all the difficulties and all the struggles of his life, God was preparing him for such a time as this. And you know, when I read that verse there in verse 19, the word of the Lord tested him. There, there is an aspect to that verse. You've got to be careful with some of the other translations. They don't do a good job. Stick to the original text. The word of the Lord tested him. Job said, I'm going to be tested. And when I come out, I'm going to come out like gold. You go through the hard times. God is building character in your life. And that's what was going on with Joseph, you know. And you might wonder, well, why did he have to go through everything that he went through? And it could just be because, whatever, everything's lining up in this chronological calendar of our Creator. But I think that at the end of the day, it was just that now Joseph is ready to rule. See? And so you look at the, at the story and you're like, man, look at how awesome the Lord is, you know, with Abraham and, and, and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. You know, what a difference. When you look at Joseph's story, you guys know the summary of his story, right? With the summary of his story, you read it there in Genesis, is the Lord was with him. 
the Lord was with him. You read it over and over again. It's, there's, you don't have to be a, a graduate of a theological seminary to know that was the summary of Joseph, that no matter where he went, the Lord was with him. And no matter where you go, if you're in this covenant of Jesus Christ, the Lord is with you. And if the Lord is with you, is there anything to worry about? Is there anything to fret about, to fear, you know, to trip out on? Absolutely not. God is with you, just like he was with Joseph. And you watch what he's going to do with your life. I mean, Joseph, man, rising up, you know, to that place. And, and you know, just in the process, he ended up being the one to save Israel. And so we read next in verse 23 that Israel also came into Egypt. And, and Jacob dwelt in the land of Ham. He increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. He turned their heart to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. And so eventually we read in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 46, that not only did Joseph go to Egypt, but after he revealed himself to his brothers, that his dad went, Jacob, uh, also known as Israel, he goes to Egypt because there's still five more years of famine left. And so he says, hey, Dad, i got to take care of you. You guys got to come here. You're going to stay in this area called Goshen. It's, it's lush because there's still five more years of famine, right? And so they journeyed to Egypt. And so when you do the math, that brought them now to a total, according to Acts chapter 7, verse 14, they had 75 people, 75 people when they go to Egypt. But by the time they leave Egypt, which is about 400 years later, it was close to 3 million people. Think about that. From 75 to 3 million. And you're like, well, that just happens. You know, people have kids. No, it's not, it's not like that, man. I mean, we're talking, it could have gone either way. I mean, they could have they died off. If you think about it, they could have got wiped out. But, but right here we see, verse 24, that he increased his people greatly. The Jews grew in number. They became stronger, mightier than the king of Egypt. You know, the new Pharaoh didn't know all that Joseph had done for them, and they came up with a plan to enslave and afflict them, but it, it backfired. It's interesting, when you read the Living Bible, Exodus chapter 1, it says there was a population explosion in Israel. And so you look back at, at the history, and you're like, man, you know, it started with Abraham, and then Isaac, and then, you know, Jacob, and his 12 sons, and you got 75 people, and you're like, well, that's pretty cool, but now there's 3 million strong. I mean, and, and they were trying to wipe them out. The interesting thing, when you read Exodus, it says the more they afflicted them, the more they grew. See, that's character. And that's what God wants to do in our life. You may think, well, I don't want hard times. And I, I, I don't want hard times. I don't want drama. You know, I don't want this kind of stuff. And the Lord just says to me, he says, listen, if you keep your eyes on me, no matter what you go through, you're not just going to go through it. You're going to grow through it, right? That's what our sister Nadine said. Are you growing? You know, this is our, our desire. You know, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 12, it says, the more they afflicted them the more they multiplied and grew 
and they were in dread of the children of Israel. And so they eventually tried to destroy the Jewish boys. You guys remember they said, hey, they told the midwives, this is a boy, throw him into the river. And, and it was in that very plan where they put Moses in the river and they put him in a little, you know, reed boat and then he travels down and then the Pharaoh's daughter, you know, finds him. And it was in their plan. It was in right in the middle of the devil's plan to destroy them that God saved them. Isn't that amazing? I mean, to me, it's just amazing, right? I think of Pastor Raul. I think of his testimony, how the, the plan was that night that he was going to kill his wife, he was going to kill his kids, and then he was going to have a shootout with the cops, and he was going to kill himself. It was all part of the devil's plan, right? But it was in that plan where he got saved. Remember, he hit the TV, and next thing you know, Pastor Chuck pops on, and you know, he started listening to the message and he gets saved and he doesn't just get saved. You know, from that point forward, he learns how to read. He reads his Bible. God calls him, makes him a pastor, an evangelist. And God can do the same with any life, with your life, with my life. And so, you know, God has his plan. You know, devil thinks he rules, but I just love the fact that God, he overrules. And so... You know, you read their history, and next in verse 26, it says he sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen, and they performed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and, and made it dark, and they did not rebel against his word. And he turned their waters into blood and killed their fish, and their land abounded with frogs, even in the chambers of the kings. And he spoke, and there came swarms of flies and lice and all their territory. You guys ever, any of you here, Piojos? You guys ever had that? <laughs> they experienced that. He gave them hail for rain. It wasn't just rain. It was hail and flaming fire in their land. He struck their vines also and their fig trees and splintered the trees of their territory. He spoke, and locusts came, young locusts without number, and ate up all the vegetation in their land and devoured their fruit of their ground he also destroyed all the firstborn in their land, the first of all their strength. And here we read, you know, the ten plagues that God used to set Israel free. Uh, and we read about that in Exodus chapter 7, verse 11. I mean, you got, you got a, a slave of, of, you know, people, and they're, they're slaves. They don't have any weapons whatsoever. How in the world will they be set free from the strongest nation in the world that has all the weapons, that has all the money, that has all the power, all the chariots that you can imagine? I mean, it would be like a bunch of farmers, you know, here in the United States of America being held by, you know, tanks and nuclear weapons and machine guns. And how in the world can they ever get free? The answer is God. How are you, how were we ever to be able to come out of the, the slavery that we were in? How was I ever able to kick, you know, the drugs and, you know, the, the mouth like a sailor and all the drinking I did all my life, all the sexual sin before I was saved? How was I ever able to get free from any of that? It was God. When God begins to work 
in our life. And that's what he did right there with, you know. And the interesting thing about it when you study the book of Exodus is that, that these were all the different gods the Egyptians had. These were all the different gods they worshipped. They actually worshipped over 80 gods, but these ones right here were some of the main ones. I mean, like they worshipped the Nile River. They would worship the river, so God just turned it into blood. He said, that's not a god, I'm God. And or they worshipped the sun, Ra'an. So God says, no, I'll make everything so dark. And you read it, it was so dark that they felt the darkness. There was a thickness to the darkness that nobody went anywhere. And you may think, oh, you might as well adjust to the darkness, not that darkness. And the amazing thing about that you know, whole thing is that it was dark in Egypt, but not where, where Israel was. It was light. You see, and, and you go through all these things, and it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of funny almost. Imagine having so many frogs in here, you know, that you know, all the ladies would be scared probably, but the guys would probably like it, huh? <laughs> you know, but I mean, just the flies. I remember one time I went to Mexico, this uh, city uh, called, um, what's the name of it? Vizcaino? Oh, yeah. They're, well, yeah, okay, anyways. I think they had just had like these tomatoes, you know, uh, some type of a, a harvest. And somehow something happened where just a, a million flies showed up. And so imagine going into a room like this and just the flies, just thick flies everywhere. How many of you guys would, would be afraid? You'd trip out. You'd be like, ah. You know, uh, some people are, are germaphobics. And so, you know, they had these strips up and, and they put them up to try to catch the flies. And every single, uh, you know, square millimeter of all the strips were already filled up with flies, so there was nothing they could do. And so, um, but, you know, God here just flexing his muscles, setting us free. This is what he did in our life. And man, if that's all he ever did, he saved us, that would be enough. I mean, right there when it talks about the firstborn dying, that's Jesus. That's Jesus dying for us. You know, God, I pray that we would come to a place of obeying him, not because of what God will do to us, but because of what God has done for us. Do you realize that if you're set free from Egypt, do you realize that if you're a Christian, that you are a miracle, that you are an anomaly, that you are part of the few that have found the narrow route, road that leads to life? God did that. And so the, the psalmist here, he reviews these things. And it's amazing what he's done in our life. You know, when they left Egypt, they didn't leave empty-handed. Look at verse 37. He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them had fallen upon them. He spread a cloud for a covering and, and fire to give light in the night. The people asked, and he brought quail and satisfied them with bread of heaven. He opened the rock, and water gushed out and ran in the dry places like a river. You know, when you look at this right here and all that, that God had done for them, um, it's amazing to me, you know, to just see the way that when they left Egypt, you know, they didn't leave uh, empty-handed you know, God had provided for them. God had even prophesied back in Exodus 3, 
verses 21 through 22. So in the very beginning, and when God commissioned Moses, he says, oh, I'm, I'm going to use you to set them free. And when they leave, they're not going to leave empty-handed. And so you read Exodus 3, 21 through 22, and then you read 12, 35 through 36, and you see it came to pass. People were, were, were basically paying them to leave. They plundered the Egyptians. And so what that, what that terminology was, was if you were an army and you conquered another nation, you would plunder their goods, right? Well, here they were. They were leaving because God had conquered them. And the cool thing about it is some people will look at it this way, that they were slaves and they worked their tail off and they never got paid until now. <laughs> Now they got paid, right, for all that work they were doing. And, and it's just so cool to see that, you know, God sees the way you're working. God sees the way you're, you're sacrificing, you're toiling. And, and one day he will repay you as, as well. You know, but when the Jews were set free, they didn't leave Egypt empty-handed. They got blessed financially, and they got blessed even physically. We read that there in verse 37. He also brought them out with silver and gold. And there was none feeble among his tribes. But what did they do with the silver and gold? They brought a Lamborghini, huh? No, with the silver and gold, they gave it to God, right? And they built the tabernacle. Isn't that cool? See, God blesses us so that we can bless others. Sometimes I think we think, well, God will increase my standard, you know, my, my paycheck so I can increase my standard of living, when in all reality, he gives you more to increase maybe your standard of giving. So anyways, you know, we, he, he reviews every. He tells him first three things. Remember, rejoice, rejoice. And then he reviews. He basically tells them why, you know, to rejoice. Look at how good God has been to you, man. And then at the end right here, he, he gives them reasons. Verse 42, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. So one reason to rejoice, to be grateful and to talk about it and sing about it and tell the whole world about it is because he remembered his covenant. And, and the same is true with us. He's going to bless us because you're a believer in his son, Jesus Christ. He's going to bless you. He remembers that covenant, right? It's the covenant of blood. It's a greater covenant than even Abraham had. Secondly, it says he brought out his people with joy, his chosen ones with gladness. So number one reason, God remembered. Number two, God redeemed. He brought us out, right? And then number three, God gave. He, he gave them the lands of the Gentiles, and they inherited the labor of the nations, and what that is, in one sense, is mercy is not getting what you deserve, like we deserve hell. We're not going to get it. Thank you, God. You brought me out of the world. But then grace is getting what you don't deserve. You know, you get, you're going to get heaven, man. And I even trip out on all the different ways that God has blessed my life ever since I've been a Christian. You know, I was at a crossroads in my life. I could have gone either way. But by the grace of God, that day I chose to give my life to Christ. It was August 20th. 1989 and from that day forward god lavished me with blessings and now it's amazing what what god has given by his grace and he will do the same to any of us 
And so we see God remembered, God redeemed, God gave. And then the last reason to review and to rejoice is that we read already in verse 45, that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise the Lord. You know, Warren Wiersbe said this, God's keeping his promise meant much more for Israel than victory over the enemy and the acquisition of riches. It meant accepting the responsibility of obeying the God who had been so faithful to them. You know, my, my prayer, you guys, is that you would know the love of God. You know, the love of God. The love of our Creator God is like the Amazon River flowing down to water a daisy. God loves you as if you were the only one to love. You can't change His love. You can't run from His love. Every day when that sun shines, that's God loving on you. Every day, you know, you have some, some good food or maybe, you know, you hear a joke or, you know, you smile, you laugh. You hear that good music or whatever it is you get to enjoy in life. That's God loving you. Every day that you continue your heart to, to beat and you're not destroyed, it's because God's loving you. So, you know, we have to really let that love sink in. But, but, but there has to come a day when we just settle it, you know, with the best of our ability. And so now, Lord, I will love you. I will love you back. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you're going to get a, a funny feeling inside. Is that what Jesus said? If you love me, you know, you'll get an emotional high or experience. What did Jesus say? He said, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, obey me. And I, and I pray that, that we can look to this psalm right here and say, well, the psalm is kind of cool because... It's not necessarily, you know, motivating us to obey God because he's going to give us trancaso. It's motivating us to obey God because of what he's already done for us. So don't wait until your life is over before it flashes before you. Maybe it's time now to sit down and, and, and just ask God, show me, Lord, your faithfulness. So that, Lord, I can be a faithful man. You know, looking at this psalm right here, he mentions amazing men like Abraham and Joseph and, and Moses and Aaron. Right? Because God had a plan, so God used a man. But ultimately, all those guys point to what man? To Jesus, the God-man, right? God didn't just use a man. It's interesting. He became a man. And uh, the God-man came to reconcile man with God. And so prayerfully, all of us here, we're, we're Christians and, uh, and we're on fire. You know, hopefully we're, we're passionate. You know, hopefully we're not half-hearted. You know, my prayer, you guys, because it's the only thing that really makes sense is that if God would die for us, shouldn't we live for him? whatever time we have left and so i pray you guys we would make that commitment and if you're here tonight and let's just say you go outside right now and you get hit by a car you're like why are you talking about that well because it could happen <laughs> no man has tomorrow guaranteed 
right? Do you know for sure you go to heaven? Do you have that assurance in your heart? If not, you can have it. Jesus said, these things are written that you may know you have eternal life, that you may believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that you may know you have eternal life. If you want to know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven, then you have to accept Jesus Christ into your heart. You have to you know, give your life to him, believe in him that he died, rose again, and that he will come back for you. And when you pray that prayer, you ask Christ into your heart, just like I did, August 20th, 1989. Um, I am just keep saying that again because I'm praying you guys will give me a birthday gift or something on August 20th. I'm just joking. Don't, don't. But I'm just saying that day, there was a day, there was a day I can point to and say that was the day I chose to follow Jesus. you got to have that day too. You know, you got to have that, that, that time, that season. Have you made that decision? If not, make it now.